Today's reading is taken from Psalm 100 on page 484 in the Church Bible. Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lexi. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there are church Bibles at the back, I think, I hope. Um, and you can grab one, and if you can turn to page 484 and Psalm 100, that would be great. And we're doing these uh, summer series right now, going through different psalms. But let's pray that God will uh, speak to us through this passage. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that rebukes us and corrects us and encourages us and teaches us. And Lord, we pray that your word will do all of that. But Lord, we pray that you would shape our hearts, not just our minds, but shape our hearts, that we might be people who worship you with our lips and with our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the early 1700s, across America, there was a great movement called the Great Awakening. It was when thousands and thousands of people were converted as they were deeply convicted of their sins and need for salvation. Many people came to Jesus, and institutions like Princeton and Dartmouth College actually uh, rose about because they wanted to educate the many, many people who, become, who have become Christians and also train the ministers um, around that time as there was a great influx of number of Christians um, at that time. But it had its critics because as people were converted, they displayed some of the things that people actually found distasteful. Some people were falling on the ground and shrieking and screaming, crying out loud. And it seemed like excesses of emotions. And many ministers from the pulpit denounced all those uh, things that seemed like excesses. At that time, Jonathan Edward was a minister in New England, and many of you might not know who Jonathan Edwards is, but he's the most uh, famous American theologian, uh, the, theologian uh, the most famous Ameri- uh, theologian that America has produced. Across America, uh, in high school time, I read it uh, as part of my uh, education, um, people are, uh, students are made to read one of his sermons called Sinners uh, in the Angry Hands of God. And as the title suggests, he's seen as puritanical, strict. And you can imagine then how Edward might have reacted to those uh, who were um, uh, falling and foaming and whatever. But whatever you think that he might have said, actually, that's not what he said. He didn't defend the excesses, but he wrote that genuine experience of God should touch our hearts and move our lips. If it doesn't engage our hearts fully, he says, actually, it's not the movement of God. This is what he wrote. The things of religion are so great that there can be no suitableness in the exercise of our hearts to their nature and importance unless they be lively and powerful. 
in nothing in vigor and the acting of our inclinations so requisite as in religion and in nothing is lukewarmness so odious. It says things of God. In the things of God, our responses must be lively and powerful. It must be in this um, vigor and lukewarmness. Lukewarm response is not an option of responding to God. You know, applied hand clap. That's no way to respond to meeting God, the maker, our king. If God showed up, he would sweep our hearts and move our lips. So we read, shout for joy. To the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. I read that quietly, but look what he says. Shout for joy, all of the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Uh, Come before him with joyful songs. Shout for joy. Literally, it's make joyful noises. Make joyful noises. Worship him like you mean it. We are to do it with gladness. I'm sure if you have kids, you've said things like this. Apologize to your sister. And the, the kid goes, I'm sorry. And he goes, no, 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 no. No, say it like you mean it. Right? This is what he's saying. Worship the Lord with gladness. Because motivation is everything, isn't it? You know, if, you, you're, 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 if you're married and your husband brought you uh, this beautiful bouquet of flowers for your birthday, and you asked, oh, you didn't have to. Why did you do it? And then he says, oh, it's because I love you so much, and I want to just show you a little bit of uh, peace of my heart. Then that's a great response. He might get a kiss or something. But if he says... Oh, I had to. It's my duty. If I didn't do it, you'd get mad. That's worse than not giving her anything, right? Because motivation is everything. Worship the Lord with gladness. I wonder why you came this morning. Why you came to church this morning. Did you come because of duty? Because you had to. Did you come with gladness because you wanted to? Because you wanted to sing praises to God? Here's the thing about Christianity. At its heart, there should be great joy, right? Christianity is distinguished by this joy. If you go to a temple, this is a temple in Saikung, right? Um, This is what you might see. You might see incenses. You might see quietness. I mean, you go and you see the faces of these angry gods or what seem like they're angry. And that's how actually many religions are. People think that God is angry. People think that uh, God is somehow erratic. You can't predict what they're going to do. And so you try to appease them. You try to pacify them by offering them prayers, offering them sacrifices. And that's how many, many religions are. Muslims all around the world are trying to please God. Right? But not only that, if you think about uh, Buddhist, uh, Buddhism, uh, Buddha is no God, but his way, of, uh, his way involves renouncing your desires, emptying yourself of different desires. No one goes, goes to the Buddhist temple um, and comes out saying, wow, that was exciting time of worship. Do you? But not so with Christian worship. It's not always like this. And it's not always like this in Shatin Church either. But the, the best of Christian worship, the genuine Christian worship begins and ends with joy. Because here, we're not trying to please God. 
you know what we're doing here? We're trying to celebrate what God has done for us, what he has done for us. Unlike the Buddhists, we're not trying to empty our desires. As we come to church, what we're saying to God is, you fulfill all my desires. You fulfill all my longing. I'm here to praise you and worship you, for you are good. Shout for joy to the Lord. Worship him with gladness. It doesn't matter the quality of your singing. It's make joyful noises, literally. It's the motivation more than the pitch that counts. But worship the Lord with gladness. That's more than singing. It's more than coming um, to church on Sundays. You might already know this, but in Hebrew, the word for worship is the same as to serve. Serve God with gladness. If you remember the stirring call that Joshua makes, if you were here um, with us as we go, went through a book of Joshua, this is a stirring call that Joshua makes at the end of the book, at the end of his life. Remember, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him or worship him. Serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors and wor- that um, ans- your ancestors worshipped beyond Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. And remember, the, at, the, at, the end of it, at, the, at the end of the call, he says, it doesn't matter what you'll do. As for me and my house, we will serve. We will worship the Lord. And that's what the psalmist are calling us to do, to throw away other gods and to serve Yahweh God, serve him only. And if we change the word from worship to serve, I think you get a diff- slightly different nuance, Right? Once again, let me ask, why did you come here on Sunday? Is it to worship God? Is it to serve God? And if you're serving God, you'll be serving his people too as well, right? Did you come here to serve God and his people, the youth, the children, the people who are sitting next to you? Did you come to serve them? If that's our motivation this Sunday, if we came to serve God this Sunday, You know, if there are people who are new to the church, you would go and talk to them, wouldn't you? If there are people who need prayer, you would pray for them, wouldn't you? We are to serve God with gladness. Often people come on Sundays to be fed, and God does that. To be inspired, and God does that as well. But at the heart of it, right, I hope our worship to God is not about ourselves, but about God, about serving Him. And what difference that would make as we go out, not just on Sundays, to our workplaces tomorrow, throughout the week. What difference that would make if we didn't use our job just to gain money, to use it to serve me. But what if we went to our job to serve God there, to work there with, uh, work there, um, with all our hearts as, for, uh, as working for the Lord? What if we went there to serve our colleagues, our clients, the world, Hong Kong, the society around us? What a blessing we would be to the world. And that's all we are to do. Serve the Lord with gladness, not just on Sundays, but with our lives. You might be asking, though, sometimes I just really have a tough time I, I, it's a, I've had really difficult week. There are things that are going on in my life I can't even really tell you about. 
How am I to worship joyfully? How am I to do it with gladness? Well, how do you give joyfully this bouquet of flowers to your spouse? How do you do it? At the end of a stressful day or a week, while you think about what kind of a person your wife is or your husband is, what she has done for you, you think about the sacrifices that she's made for your uh, family, for your children, uh, how beautiful she is, how forgiving and kind she is. You think about how blessed you are to have her in your life, right? You think about it because sometimes it is hard. Sometimes it doesn't come automatically. And so when verse 3 says, know that he is God, that's what he's saying. Think about the fact that Yahweh is God, that he is your God, that he, uh, we are his. He says, that Yahweh, he is God. That's uh, in Hebrew to emphasize that no, there's no other God. It's Yahweh, he is God. We worship the one true God who has made us. Of course, he's made all of us. And for those of you who still haven't heard, uh, I'd like to share with you the good news that Mary's pregnant with our uh, our second child. Uh, It's a girl. Thank you. I think the uh, first scan that we had was uh, when the baby was about uh, nine weeks old in in, in the womb. Nine weeks. And even then, we could see the head, we could see the body, we could see the feet. Um, it, was squeak, it was moving around. And the last, uh, this past week, um, we had another scan when she waved um, at us. I don't know how God does it, but God makes each one of us fearfully and wonderfully. God is this great God who makes all of us. And all the good things that you see, all the things that you see in the world are made by God magically. <laughs> Um, so, as his creatures, we are uh, to worship him. But actually, this psalm is even more than that. It's not just saying that, look, he has made us and so you worship him. You see the specific, uh, specificity here. It's he is our God. He has made us. We are his. We belong to him. It's about our relationship with that God. And what God has done to make us his. You know, what he's saying in verse 3 is, think about what God has done for Israel. That's what he's saying. You know how God called Abraham and made this great promise and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. That's what he's saying. Think about that. He has made us. He delivered us out of Egypt. He led us through the, the paths in the wilderness. That's the, the Exodus language, the sheep of his pasture, how God shepherded us through the wilderness and how God then granted that land in the land of Canaan and God made us, he's saying. So praise him and worship him. It's ultimately about our relationship with God and and think of then how much he has done for us, the church, what he has done to make us his. I am his because Christ has redeemed me by his blood. Think of what he has done. Think of the relationship that he has forged with with each one of us and with the church. He is our God and we are his. A couple weeks ago, Toy Story 4 came up. Um, And if you're a Toy Story fan, this this, this isn't getting the best review, unfortunately. 
But the first three were amazing. They were great stories. And there are deep theology in Toy Story 2. If you think about what Toy Story franchise 1 to 3 was about, it was about the relationship between Andy the maker, the toy owner, and the relationship with Andy and the toys. Right? At the bottom of each one of the toys is <clears throat> written Andy, because they're Andy's. And when the toys are played by Andy, the toys feel most happy. This is what they long for, to be played by Andy, to be in relationship with Andy. They feel most fulfilled and happy when they're in that relationship. Remember in Toy Story 1, Buzz Lightyear, he didn't believe that he was a toy. He wanted to be more than Andy's toy. He wanted to be a superhero. He wanted to be Buzz Lightyear. And when he found out that he's just a toy, he's Andy's toy, he's dejected, he's disappointed. He doesn't want to live anymore until Woody teaches him how wonderful Andy is. How wonderful it is to be in relationship with him, to be played by him, to be loved by him. In the second Toy Story, I mean, it's the, the theme is the same. There is a, a, a song that captures um, this so beautifully. It goes, when somebody loved me, everything is beautiful. Every hour we spend together lives in my heart when she loved me. It's about this wonder. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> wow. You're very clap happy today. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, <clears throat> But you, you hear that when somebody loved me, everything was beautiful. It says when he, he, she was in relationship with her maker, everything was beautiful. And you see, we're more than toys, but we are made to be in relationship with God. We are made to be loved by God, to be in relationship with God, to be enjoyed by God, and to enjoy Him. That's why we find this great joy in knowing this God, to be in relationship with God, because we know that this God is God who loves us. When we, set, when we sinned and we severed our relationship, God sent his son to die for us. And to be in relationship with him means being loved by this great God who gives himself to each one of us. Our hearts are prone to worship something. You're going to worship something. But unless you worship God, this wonderful God, it's always going to be, in C.S. Lewis's words, mud pies, when infinite ocean of joy is offered to you, to each one of us. He is our maker. We are his. We are his. And if we live in that relationship, we'll also be filled with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. The psalmist continues in verse 4. <clears throat> Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. The courts here, of course, are the courts of the temple. The worshipers are filled with gratitude, with thanksgiving as they come. And it's worth mentioning, though, I think, how hard it is to give thanks in this day and age. There are things, I think, about this modern age that makes, us, makes it harder for us to give thanks. For example, the fact that we live in this rich, modern city with all the comforts, and we're so used to it, I think it makes, us, it, makes it hard for us to give thanks. This past week, for one breakfast, I had cereal from Japan, I had grapes from the USA, 
jam from France and milk and bread from Hong Kong. I mean, I ate like a king for breakfast, and that's just what we eat. Think about all the modern comforts that we're so used to. Think about the avenues of entertainment uh, that we, are, we, we always have at, at our fingertips. We're so used to it. And when things go away for just a second, we complain about it. You know, my grandmother, who, uh, who uh, went through Korean War, no, she doesn't complain about these things, right? But we're so used to these comforts, and we complain. And not only that, uh, this uh, that reminds me of a story. Uh, the two friends met each other, and one of them was just so, looked so sad. It looked so glum. And so his friend asked, what have you done? Uh, what has the world done to you that you're so sad? Why the tears? And the sad friend said, let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle died and gave me, left me $40,000. That's a lot of money. And you see, two weeks ago, a cousin I never knew died and gave me $80,000. And last week, why do you look so glum? That seems like such a blessing. And last week, you see, my grandmother died and left me a million dollars. I don't understand. Why are you so sad? And he says, this week, I got nothing. We can often come to a point where we expect blessings that God didn't even promise. And when it's not there, we complain. And I feel like, in some ways, our society is like that because we're so used to good things. And not only that, another factor that I think makes us uh, difficult to praise and give thanks is actually just the abundance of social media. Comparison. Our vacation to Thailand, wow, it was such a good vacation, but ah, oh, that, that wasn't as good as my friends who went to Europe. Or you might have had a wonderful meal in the local mall, but actually you check your full social media and somebody went to a Michelin-starred restaurant, and you're like, ah, oh, man, we live in an age where gratitude is more difficult, and what a witness we would be if we're all thankful people. If we had this relationship with God and that was the basis of our relationship, basis of our joy and gratitude, and we're able to have this attitude of thanksgiving. I don't mean that we don't complain about anything. I don't mean that we don't go through difficulties. But there is this baseline that cannot be taken away, baseline relationship with God that cannot be taken away. One pastor said uh, the, 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 the key to being thankful is starting with he, not I. And I thought that's such, such a great line. Look to him. Look to our relationship with him. Look how great he is. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness throughout generations. This is the only passage in the Psalms that brings these three characteristics together. Goodness and love and faithfulness. The Lord is good. All the good things come from our Lord. Lord is loving. His love endures. It's that covenantal love, hesed love, that faithful love. And he does not change. He's faithful. His faithfulness continues throughout generations. Our church is one that's multi-generational. I'm really thankful for that. Our oldest are in the 70s. Our youngest are being born. God has been faithful to the oldest generations. God has been faithful to us. God will be faithful to our youngest, and he will throughout the generations. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues. And if you have any doubt, look to Jesus. 
look to Jesus. Lord is good. We know that the Lord is good in Jesus. We know that his love endures because he, he endures the humiliation of the cross. We know that he's faithful because he know, we know the lengths to which he went to be faithful to us. And what kept him on the cross will kept, keep us for eternity. So as we close, as we reflect on this psalm, could we just go back and review Could we take a moment to examine our hearts? What motivated you to come today? Can we examine our hearts and ask ask God to transform it uh, to gladness? Could we ask God for us to come, not for ourselves, but to serve him, to worship him and his people, not just today, uh, but as we return back to our workplaces and our homes? And can we take a moment to reflect on the amazing fact that we are his? Can we reflect on what he has done to make us his? And can we thank him? And can we commit to thank him, not just today, but when you return and you're crammed into the the, the busy MTR on on your way to work and things are not going well, can we look to him? Can we commit to look to him? And give thanks. Why don't I just ask you to do that? Let's review these three things uh, for just three minutes on our own in silence um, before the music team comes to lead us in the next song. Let's pray.